Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So now you have your car packed and it weighs 10,000 pounds and you can't see out your rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We're the clamp that's going down the road. Everything we own in the truck. Could I be Ellie May in this scenario? Uh, yeah, yes, I would like you to be Ellie May and not Granny. <laughs> that's. Let me just get that image out of my brain for a second. All right, I'll be Ellie May and you can be Jethro. How's that? Although then yeah, we'd be no. brother and sister. <laughs> I need a rope. I need a rope to keep my pants up. <laughs> okay, that, we're not the Clampets. Forget that I ever said that. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're talking about one of our favorite things to do, plan a trip to the national parks. We'll share some of the things we learned along the way, like how much time to budget for a park, how to figure out what to do in the park, plus ways to find other interesting places to see nearby and how to find lodging in and around the parks. We'll also go over the list of national parks that you'll need reservations for this year and talk about items that we always take with us in our truck on road trips. At the end of the episode, we'll go over some important rules and regulations that the National Park Service would like us all to follow. All of this and more coming up next. I like now that listeners are starting to suggest topics because <laughs> then we don't have to think of topics. I know. It's really helpful, isn't it? It is. I know. Because we would like to know what our listeners would like to hear us talk about. Yeah. Just tell us what to say. Exactly. We'll speak it into the microphone. <laughs> and if, if you could do the outline and script it out for us, yeah, that would you, be good too. <laughs> could you do that? Send that to Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com, the whole outline. And We'd we'll like just, it in a Word document. We would just crank them out. No editing. <laughs> what we did a few days ago was we put a question on our Instagram stories asking our Instagram followers what podcast topics would they like to see us record? Would they like to hear us, not see us? Um, <laughs> They're not going to watch us record. No, We're no not videos. videotaping this. No. What episodes would they like us to do in 2022? And we got a lot of really great suggestions. Yeah, keep those coming. We will... In all seriousness, we'll use those suggestions for future uh, episode topics. Absolutely. We had planned to do a podcast episode on planning a national park road trip, but then we got, gosh, probably half a dozen people suggested that as well. So that kind of sealed the deal. Plus, this is a really good time to start planning for the next year. But I have to say, before we get started, my favorite podcast suggestion was... <laughs> On Valentine's Day, do an episode featuring Dear Robert and Suzanne. Oh, so no one knows that it's us. <laughs> right. And we could say all the things uh, that well, we <laughs> we don't want to normally say. I guess episode. so. I, I think they're referring to romance in the national Ro parks. Romance topics. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do, do we have to talk in different voices? <laughs> are we going to dress up for this? Matt. Are we gonna, Wait, I don't are think we, they wanted us to go that far. Are we going to videotape that one? <laughs> going to no. put that on YouTube. You got to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> you, might, you might not want to hear that episode. No, no one wants to hear that. We do get that request pretty often. That's. I think people are joking, hopefully. 
(laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. But what they're not joking about is the request for us to do an episode about planning your park's trip. So let's get into it. But before we start, I thought we were going to get into it. I know. Okay. But there's. (laughs) Are we going to get into it or not? There's one thing we need to talk about first. I think this is very timely because. Before you plan your parks trip, you need to know which parks now require a reservation to get in. That's kind of the new thing. And the list is getting longer, isn't it? It is. So we're recording this just so if somebody's listening to this five years from now. This is early 2022. We'll talk about what we know now in January of 2022 for this coming year. And the list could change. It could change. And absolutely, you want to get on the park website because next month, a new park could initiate a reservation system. So always check before you do your planning. So let's talk about this. First of all, Glacier. If you want to access the Going to the Sun Road corridor between May 27th and September 12th, you're going to need a vehicle reservation. So you need to get online and find out when and how you do that. And is this the basically the same process as 2021? It is, but they've added something new this year. Now there are two reservation systems. One is for going to the Sun Road Quarter, and there is a new one if you want to go in the Polebridge Ranger Station area. That's the North Fork area of the park. So two different reservations are needed. Get online and find out everything you need to know about that if you're going to Glacier this summer. Good to know, because I, I love the Pole Bridge area, mm-hmm. and we went there, what, a couple years ago, and it was pretty crowded. Yes, and what they were doing is, as soon as the parking lot at Bowman Lake filled up, they would shut down access, and cars would wait in line to get in, and they wouldn't let a car in until a car came out. So now you need a reservation. They're going to try to control that. I believe these um, tickets start becoming available in early March of 2022, but definitely check that out, because hugely important if you're going to Glacier. Yeah, new this year also, going to another park, is Arches National Park. Uh, This is a pilot test program that they're starting in 2022. From April 3rd through October 3rd, you need a reservation. To get into the park. To to get Mm -hmm. into the park. And and they've had a lot of trouble with overcrowding. And then people would, would show up and be in a long line of cars and then while they're in line, they would just shut the line down and not let anyone else in until cars came out. And it's frustrating for everyone. It's frustrating mm-hmm. for the park, frustrating for the visitors. And so they, they're going to try a reservation system. Right. And this is a timed ticket to get in. Now, I believe that the tickets go up three months ahead of the date. So for instance, it starts April 3rd. So tickets for April 3rd went up on January 3rd. So check that out. If you're going to Arches, you're going to need a timed ticket to get in. What is a timed ticket? So you can only be in the park a certain amount of time? That's a good question, Matt. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. (laughs) The timed ticket is when you can enter the park. And once you're in the park, you can stay as long as you like. So, you know, they're going to let people in at 9 or 9.30 and 10. It's a staggered entry. So that's what that means. Got it. Okay, so moving on to Yosemite. Now, there's no information yet on their website. Again, this is January 2022 that we're recording this. And you don't need a reservation in the winter, but it looks like they will probably do a reservation system again in 2022 for the kind of peak season, right? That's right. The superintendent of the park held a press conference about a month ago, and she said she doesn't know whether day-use reservations will return in 2022. They're waiting to see what's going to happen with COVID. So definitely check the Yosemite website. I would imagine that they will once again have reservations. That would be my guess. Yep. And another one is Rocky Mountain National Park. And we have had people email us telling us that they've driven many, many hours uh, to go to the park, got to the entrance kiosk and didn't realize they needed a reservation, Mm -hmm. which really screws up your trip if you get turned away and you've, you've come from a long distance. So. They have a reservation system basically end of May through mid-October. Check the park's website for specifics, but they're going to have a reservation system as well. Now, a new one this year is 
of course, my favorite place, Carlsbad Caverns. And that was a surprise to me. I was reading about it. And what happened was that back in March, they started limiting the number of people who could do the self tour of the big room. And because of that, there were incredibly long lines waiting, and people were getting upset. Also, they had canceled all the other ranger-led tours, so the only thing you could see was the big room. So after that, they started a reservation system. And here's the thing with that. You have to buy your your Carlsbad Caverns reservations online ahead of time. You cannot do it when you get to the park. You know, you might be able to do it even just a day ahead of time. I don't think they're that hard to get. But just note, if you want to go to Carlsbad, get online and get a reservation. You know, I know that sometimes the reservation systems seem like a hassle, but it's nothing compared to the hassle of you know going all the way to the park and waiting in a long line and and maybe never getting to go into the park. I think these reservation systems, they're in the end, I think they are helpful and it makes the experience for the person who does get the reservation makes it better. Right. So just do your research on that. We also wanted to mention Acadia National Park in Maine. If you want to drive to the top of Cadillac Mountain, which we'd highly recommend, you do need a timed reservation for that. The road up to Cadillac Mountain got so congested and the parking was always full and people would be circling. So now you have to get a timed reservation to park up there. You can also hike up there. You can. We hiked hiked up there. (laughs) That's right. You don't need a reservation for that. But to drive up there, you'll need a reservation from mid-May through mid-October. Now, another park that has stopped the reservation system is Zion National Park for their shuttle. They used to have a reservation system for that. You'd have a ticket with your specific time when you could get on the shuttle. And they've stopped that. Yeah, we were there in March of 2021. And it was kind of a hassle, I have to admit, to try to get four shuttle tickets for the day that we wanted. And then I think it was in May, they stopped doing it. What we heard was that people were buying up the shuttle seats and then reselling them at a higher price they were scalping them basically so they stopped doing that but one note what they did start doing is now if you want to hike angels landing there is a lottery in place for that so you have to win the lottery to get a permit so get online if you want to do angels landing and check that out so that's what you were doing in the parking lot when you said you were going to the restroom and then (laughs) It took you 45 minutes and I saw you out talking to people in the parking lot and money exchanging hands. <laughs> Mama <laughs> needed some new shoes. <laughs> Mama needed new trekking poles. So no, that's we we no. weren't the scalpers. No, we would never do that. Never. You know, another one uh, we should mention, which is not a new thing, but along the lines of planning ahead is Mesa Verde. A lot of the places to see in Mesa Verde require a ranger led tour. Most of them do, except mm-hmm. I think there's like maybe one or two sites that are self-guided. And so, again, we say this often, but visit the website and do a little bit of research. You're really not going anywhere in the park without uh, a ticket for a ranger-led tour. All right. That's a good point, Matt. All right. So to talk about planning a national park road trip, we thought we would share our experience of planning our trip to New River Gorge National Park in October with our friends Bob and Sue because... This was a new park for us. It was a new state. We were not familiar with it. So we kind of had to start at the beginning like we used to when when these national parks were new to us. Right. And it's easier now with more information online to do all this planning. Mm-hmm. Back when we did it 10, 11 years ago, there was information online, but it was it was a little sparse. Yes. There are so many blog posts and so many ways to get information that we will go over on this episode. Well, I think the first thing you want to think about is how much time do you have for the trip to visit the park? That's right. Now, for this um, New River Gorge, because we are coming from Washington State all the way to West Virginia, 
and you know we lose three hours just by traveling over to that part of the country. We knew that we were going to have at least a week. It just doesn't make sense for us to do an, a shorter trip than that. And then the second thing we had to figure out when planning this is when is the best time to go, and that of course depends on what you want to do in the park. So figure out when when is the best time for you to go to that park. And of course, weather and and seasonal things affect that, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. we planned this trip in October, which was added benefit because we knew the fall colors would be out and the temperatures might be a little bit um, milder, more mild. So when you have your destination decided on, you want to figure out how much travel time is it going to take you to get there. So for us, we flew to Detroit to meet up with Bob and Sue. You know, that's a that's a half day flight and we lose three hours. So for us, just getting to Detroit is all day. And then we knew the second day driving from Detroit to New River Gorge was what, about five hours? Right. With stops for gas and lunch, I think we got to New River Gorge around three or so. And of course, then you've got your time getting back home or getting back to wherever it is you're going from there. So so you have to budget out your time. After that, you have to figure out how many days you want to spend in a particular park. And this is going to take some research about what there is to do. We figured out that for New River Gorge, three days would probably be enough. Right. And some some people are constrained by the number of days. Maybe they only have one day because of vacation time or whatever. But if, if you're unconstrained, the way we figure this out is, again, we go to the park website and then we look at blog posts and things like that to see, like, what are the highlights of the park? And you know, obviously, some parks have a lot more destinations to see and, and things to do. And so, right, for New River Gorge, we, we thought three days would be a, a good time. Right. So then we started looking for what else can we add on that's near New River Gorge? What other national parks? And we looked at within a reasonable drive, there was Great Smoky Mountains and there was also Shenandoah. So we'd added on Shenandoah for a couple days. And then as it turned out, driving back to Detroit from Shenandoah, we were able to spend a half day in Cuyahoga Valley as well. Right. We were going pretty pretty close to Cuyahoga anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we made a little bit of a detour, spent a uh, half day there. Right. Which is great because we hadn't seen that park in 10 years. Yeah, it was fun to see it again. So a couple of suggestions about how to figure some things out. So one thing we do when we're going to a national park in, let's say, West Virginia, you can Google national parks by state and see what other national park service sites come up. So all you have to do is type in West Virginia National Parks, and there is an NPS website that comes up and it'll show you all the sites. So you can add on whatever you'd like. Yeah, check out what else is around. And you can do this uh, for state parks as well, because a lot of times... There are public lands adjacent to these NPS sites. And in this case, mm-hmm. there was Babcock State Park, right. which was right next to New River Gorge National Park. And so that, that was a, a great place to visit as well. Mm-hmm. And then for other cool things to see and do besides national park sites, you can also Google best places to visit in West Virginia or hidden gems in West Virginia. And then you'll get stuff like, like we found this really cool covered bridge that we right. stopped at. That's, that's right. So Google is your best friend here. And and you want to see as much as you can. If you're going far, far away from your home like we were, you want to pack in as much as you can. One thing that I found during my research that we added on and really enjoyed doing was on our way from New River to Shenandoah, we stopped in Charlottesville and we visited Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home. And it turned out to be that that's a fantastic tour if you have a chance to do that. It is. And we spent a half day there. And then I had Googled in Charlottesville um, a brewery that had food. And we stopped at a a brewery called Selvage Brewing. And that was fantastic. So we pretty much Googled our way through West Virginia and Virginia, finding cool things to do. Yeah. A couple more things before you book your lodging, because you kind of want to have your itinerary set before you reserve your hotels for the night. And like we said, you want to check the National Park Service website for reservation and closure information. So for instance, I know we bring this up a lot because I still haven't gotten over it, but when we visited Cuyahoga for the first time, I didn't look and see what days the train was running. That was my number one thing I wanted to do, and it wasn't running on Monday and Tuesday. And then, of course, when we went to New River Gorge this last trip, what what day did we visit Cuyahoga Valley National Park? 
Tuesday. Tuesday. Still no train. <laughs> Still no train. I know. I anyway, know. but yeah, the, the, there's yeah. little nuances like that, mm-hmm. uh, and and sometimes it, it takes a little bit of digging, right. but but you can find all this stuff out. Right. And on the park website, for instance, when you look on the New River Gorge National Park Service website, they have a section that's called Plan Your Visit. And in the drop-down menu under Plan Your Visit, they have basic information, directions and transportation, eating and sleeping, places to go, things to do like hiking, biking, fishing, camping, whitewater. So extremely helpful in planning your trip to a new park where you don't know what there is to do. And there's also the, uh, the park maps are online there also. The brochures that you get at the park, the maps that are on those brochures are on the website. So you can do all your research and looking at the maps before you go. Yeah, those maps are a great resource. So let's say now, okay, so now we had our itinerary pretty much figured out. We wanted to, you know, fly to Detroit, drive to New River, spend three days there, spend one day getting between New River and Shenandoah, spend three nights in Shenandoah, make our way back to Detroit. So we kind of had that mapped out. Then it's time to get the lodging, right? And, and that can be <laughs> yeah. that can be a difficult thing and, and a puzzle to put together. And mm-hmm. sometimes if the lodging isn't available, then it affects, they kind of have to redo the schedules. Exactly. And, and there's a little bit of doing it at the same time. Sometimes we check for lodging and see if it's available but not book it mm-hmm. and then figure the other stuff out and maybe then get the flights, get the plane tickets. Yeah, because here's the thing too about that. If you want to stay in a park lodge, those reservations are tricky to get and we always like to stay there when we can. So I was able to get three nights for the two couples at Shenandoah Big Meadows and we kind of planned the trip around that because that was really important to us. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a good point. Sometimes some of these trips, we plan the entire itinerary around the hardest thing to get. Exactly. And then then back into it. And sometimes when this we're talking about a trip where we flew and now we we're in a car with, you know, with another couple. So there's four of us in a car. You you need lodging, but sometimes we'll drive our own truck, let's say to Utah. We know that if we have to, we can sleep in the truck. Right. Right. And right. so that we're a little less particular about having to get everything set ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's tricky because those National Park Lodge rooms go up a year in advance. So if you're not on it way ahead of time, the only hope you have is to get, get some cancellations, which can happen Which too. do happen. Mm-hmm. And almost always, and, and don't rely on this, but almost always you go to a lodge the day of... And you can find a cancellation. The tricky thing about that is, is you probably have reservations someplace else. And the question is, can you cancel your other reservations without getting charged? So that's something to think about. Yeah. Now, one thing when we're looking for other lodging, so not park lodging, if we're looking for hotel rooms, we check out the lodging options on Expedia and TripAdvisor because it brings up an entire list. So for instance, a new River Gorge does not have any lodging inside the park. So I pulled up Fayetteville, which is the little town next to it, to see what lodging options there were, which by the way, there are very few. <laughs> right. Although there's a fantastic place to stay in Fayetteville that we talked about on our New River Gorge episode. The Lafayette Flats. Yeah. So what we do is we... Plug in our dates on Expedia and TripAdvisor. The list comes up of what's available. I read the reviews. Make sure there's no mouse on head reviews. Right, that's right. <laughs> and then here's the thing. We don't ever book on Expedia or TripAdvisor because if you have to cancel, that can be a headache. So then we go to the hotel website and we book directly with the hotel. And you got to be careful when you're Googling and following the links on Google to to lodging that you're going to book. Sometimes you're not connected to the actual hotel. You're going through a service like nationalparkreservations.com or there's others that add a charge or an additional fee that is totally unnecessary. Yes, I think we have to warn people to look out for that nationalparkreservations.com. It's a legitimate site, but I was just looking at it. I was looking at Wuxachi Lodge in Sequoia because I wanted to see if they were open. And when I I Googled Wuxachi Lodge Reservations, and the first one that comes up is nationalparkreservations.com. 
And it looks like the park website, and it's not. And we have booked once through that website by mistake, and there was like a $75 charge on it. Yeah, just which, not, not necessary. No, we immediately canceled. So make sure you are on the direct website of the lodge or the hotel. Once you have your itinerary set and you've booked your lodging, when it gets a little closer to your travel dates, you should do one of the most important things in the planning process. Figure out your dining options. <laughs> where and what you're going to eat. That is hugely important to us. I'd like to know where my next meal is coming I from know, at all uh, times. I know. You want to know like five minutes after you eat one meal, you want to know where the next one is coming from. Yeah, or just the next two or three meals <laughs> in, in a row. Like, like figure out the restaurants and particularly if you need a reservation because a lot of the national park lodges do require reservations. And, of course, we always Google best pizza in wherever. <laughs> right. And so you, you got to figure out your food options. And, and I'm only partially joking here because you know, sometimes there aren't many options. There aren't. And you really need to know where your next meal is coming from. I usually Google, you know, best restaurants in and then, you know, plug in the name of the town or if we are feeling like pizza or barbecue or whatever. But um, yeah, Google is definitely your friend on this one. And then when you get to the park, one of the first things we do is we go to the visitor center, we get into the information line, and we talk to a ranger about the activities in the park. Usually for us, it's a hike. And even if we've already done the research, know which hike we want to do, we still ask them their opinion because there could be new information that we don't know. Right. Like a trail closing, you know, a big tree that went down, a river or a flood that, that wiped out part of the trail, whatever. It's always good to get more information. Definitely. And they have the latest information, even more current than what would be on the website. You know, for instance, right now, currently, Zion and Yosemite have a lot of trails that are closed. So you want to know that before you, you head out. Also, we like to ask the rangers where his or her favorite place is to watch the sunset because they usually know good spots and sometimes secret spots. Rather than, you know, sitting in the lodge having dinner or sitting in a restaurant having dinner, we try to eat early or eat later and then be out in the park around sunset. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One more thing to mention, someone asked us to do an episode on last-minute trip planning. I think everything we said still applies. You just have to make sure that you can get reservations to the park and you can get reservations for a place to stay. And I think everything else is kind of the same. Yeah, I think the only last-minute uh, suggestion we would make is there are times where we can catch cancellations. Mm -hmm. All I would say is that's great, but just be flexible because you might not get that cancellation and have a, you know, a plan B, plan C ready. Plan D might be <laughs> sleep in your car or bring your tent with you so you can go uh, set up a tent somewhere and, and sleep outside. That's right. And that's a great segue, Matt. We thought we'd mention some of the things that we pack in our truck for a road trip that we always have with us when we drive. Now, when we flew to Detroit for the New River Gorge trip, obviously we couldn't bring this stuff, but I'd say 95% of the time we like to do road trips and we like to drive. So this is some of the stuff we bring with us. Yeah, one of the most important things, obviously, is a cooler. And you have to reserve space in your vehicle for the cooler and it, it's sacred space that nothing else gets piled into that area because a lot of times the cooler is the last thing to get loaded in the truck. So what you're telling everyone is 
don't put your gear in the space that's been reserved for the cooler. Who would put a bag of shoes and a hair straightener in the cooler area? And no one would do that, would they? <laughs> well, they might. Yeah, once once I found just the hair straightener just sitting <laughs> in the cooler spot, there was a perfect rectangle the shape of our Yeti cooler in the back of the truck. And I come to, and I'm carrying the heavy Yeti, and I get ready to put it down, and there's just one little hair straightener with the cord hanging out of the truck. <laughs> you know, Matt, most people don't place that much importance on the cooler that they have a spot reserved. They just shove the cooler in wherever it will fit at the end of the at the end of the packing process. So, well, you should know by now, I'm not just anybody. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> Also, we bring folding chairs and a little camp table. We kind of landed on a 24-inch square Lifetime. That's the brand name. It's a little child's table, but it's perfect for camping. It's also perfect for just uh, setting out, you know, alongside the road with our little folding chairs to put food on. And it doesn't take a whole lot of space. I can't tell you how many times we've pulled those out to have a meal or watch the sunset or go watch the bison uh, in Lamar Valley. We've used those so often. Of course, you want uh, a map book, which mm-hmm. the map books go in the map pocket behind the uh, seats in, in the <laughs> car, but also have some backup. We use the Gaia GPS app. And of course, you know, just the map on your phone is, is helpful too. Yeah. And the map book is great too, because as you're if you're on a long road trip, as you're driving through multiple states, you can look at your map book and, and see other public lands that you're going to be driving right by. There's been many times we've made a spontaneous turn off of the highway to go check something out because we saw it in the map book. So definitely don't leave home without it. Uh, Another thing hugely important would be your phone chargers. Uh, We each have our own. Yeah, bring like five of them Mm -hmm. because you won't be able to find any of them when when you need them. Right. We have a tripod with us, although we usually have our little tripods in our backpacks. But tripods are good, obviously, for taking uh, your photos by the park signs and, and other places. Yeah, take plenty of water if if it's the driving trip. We just get the cheap gallons of water at Target or Walmart or wherever and and usually take four or five in the truck. And I always have with me the SteriPen just in case we we need to purify water. And a lot of, a lot of times places you go, the tap water is just fine. But uh, you never know. You might be parked at a trailhead and you're ready to hike and uh, you, you forgot to fill up your water bottles. It's, it's nice to have that water in the truck that you can fill up with. Absolutely. Another thing that Matt put together that I absolutely love are what we call our sleep kits. And those have a pillow, pillowcase, and a very soft fleece blanket in it. And I pack those in a dry bag just in case. I mean, stuff spills in the back of the truck or you might be in a rainy uh, or wet area. So I put all that stuff in it. And, you know, most of the time, the places we stay, the, the blankets and pillows are just fine. But every now and then we'll go to a cabin and the pillows are paper thin or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's colder than than expected and the blankets aren't, aren't that great. And it's just nice to have a pillow and a blanket that, that you're familiar with. And it's also reassurance if we would ever have to spend the night in our truck, which we never have. But if we do, we have uh, pillows and blankets there. So we always take those with us. Now, we have a canvas bag that we put a lot of food items in, but at the bottom, there's usually a cutting board. We have a knife. We have sandwich bags. So if we're going to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at a trailhead, we have the sandwich bags to put them in. Absolute must have a corkscrew that always stays in the canvas bag. (laughs) And a beer bottle opener if there isn't one on the corkscrew. I would highly recommend both of those. Yeah. Another thing I've started carrying in the last couple of years, which I I really appreciate, is a window shade, uh, a reflective window shade that protects your dashboard from UV rays and just reduces the, the heat inside the vehicle. And because I'm so tidy, I always make sure we have a trash bag and paper towels. Is that right? <laughs> Do you know where the trash bag is? Because the map pocket on your side of the truck always seems to be filled with trash. That's because the trash bag's way in the back and it's not super useful as we're driving. But we do have one. We always have one. Yeah. Uh, the paper towels do come in handy. We bring travel cups. Sometimes the places we stay, the coffee isn't great. So I'll bring a jet boil and some instant coffee and the travel cups are great. 
to have so that we can uh, have coffee. Sometimes you drink wine out of them. It's, it's just good to have a sturdy travel cup. Yes. One with a lid, too, because sometimes there's spillage. I always carry both sets of keys to the truck. And when we go on hikes, Karen gets one, I get one. So, you know, if something happens to one of our backpacks or one of us, there's two sets of keys. Mm -hmm. In the winter, obviously, you'd have a few more things like an ice scraper, a shovel, tire chains, maybe an axe to clear if a tree falls down in the road in front of you, some things like that. Right. I I bring a little, well, little, it's probably about 18 inches, a little uh, pruning saw, a nice sharp saw that has a little kind of scabbard on it. And I just put that at the bottom of the truck because sometimes if you're out in the middle of nowhere and a tree comes across the road... If you can't clear the road yourself, you're stuck. Right. So anyways, self-rescue stuff. I, I, I bring a snack strap and some recovery shackles, which helps if you get stuck. Now, the thing with the snack strap is you, you need another vehicle to connect it to to pull you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually you can flag somebody down. Uh, let's see. We also have disposable wipes and hand sanitizer, and that seems to be used multiple Often. times throughout the day. I always have hand sanitizer. A in, giant in one my in truck. your truck. I know. I, I, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> we do carry um, a small first aid kit. Always carry flashlights. We also have headlamps in our backpacks at all times. Probably have at any given time at least five different ways to illuminate. And if you were to have a breakdown or an accident, you want to make sure you have a a spare tire, you have jumper cables, a basic toolkit, roadside assistance kit, your car manual, your car insurance cards, and of course, your driver's license and registration, just things that you should always have with you on a road trip. Yeah, and it all sounds like uh, just simple, common sense, basic information, but you know, sometimes these things aren't for you you might come across somebody who mm-hmm. needs them. And a matter of fact, it's probably more likely the situation. I carry in our truck a jumper battery. It's a portable battery that has built-in jumper cables. And so I can jump a car with that without connecting the two vehicles. And that's basically the same thing that AAA uses when they come to to jump you. And, you know, you your truck or vehicle may be brand new and everything's fine and you know that you're not going to need it. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice because somebody else might need it. Yeah, that's a good point. We also, we do have AAA mainly because we get the hotel discounts when we use our AAA card. I think typically we save about $10 per night on hotel rooms. And I don't remember what I pay for the membership. I think it's about 80 bucks a year. We could save 80 bucks in eight days on a trip. Right. And then you get, you're essentially getting all the other benefits of the membership Mm -hmm. basically for free. So now you have your car packed and it weighs 10,000 pounds and you can't see out your rear view mirror. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we do. I know. Because, of course, we're not even including all of your gear, your, you know, your duffel bags, your hiking boots, your backpacks, your personal items. So, you know, you obviously need all that as well, smushed somewhere in there. Yeah, where the clampets going down the road, <laughs> everything we own in the truck. Could I be Ellie May in this scenario? Uh, yeah, yes, I would like you to be <laughs> Ellie May and not Granny. <laughs> That's... I, I let me just get that image out of my brain for a second. All right, I'll be Ellie May and you can be Jethro. How's that? Although then yeah, we'd be yeah. brother and sister. I need a rope. I need a rope to keep my pants up. <laughs> okay, that's the, we're not the Clampets. Forget that I ever said that. All right, switching gears here. Let's talk about some specific rules that the National Park Service expects everyone to follow as well as a few things that they're just good park etiquette. Okay. And some of these things might be useful to know ahead of time when you're planning your trip. Well, absolutely, especially the first thing we're going to talk about, and that is dogs in the national parks. I think it's very important that you look at the national park website and see what the rules are for bringing your dog. So many people travel with their dogs now, but some national parks are very dog-friendly, and some are very restrictive as far as where pets are allowed to go in the park. Right, and usually, almost every time when you go to a trailhead, there will be a sign 
that tells you the rules. And that's that's a place where they'll say no dogs allowed or no pets allowed, mm-hmm. or they'll say, um, you know, pets allowed, leash only or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's where you can find that information. You can also find it on the, the park website. Right. We've heard a lot of complaints from people about how undog friendly the national parks are. And I know that's true with some places like Yellowstone. And when there are regulations about you can't bring your dog, it's for the safety of your dog as well as the safety of the wildlife. People have asked us often about a particular rule and they'll say, I, I don't understand why the, the park has this rule or that rule. We just have to assume that the park sets their rules and they have reasons for it. And in some cases, we've seen people, we had one case where a woman was saying to us, I don't understand why I can't bring my dog in, into this park. And while she was saying this to us, her dog was chasing mountain goats. And so know the rules and follow them and just assume that they're there for a good reason. I did look up some dog-friendly national parks, and I just wanted to mention a few. For instance, Acadia National Park has 100 miles of pet-friendly hiking trails. In Shenandoah National Park, out of the 500 miles of hiking trails, only 20 are off-limits to pets. In Cuyahoga Valley National Park, you can have leashed pets throughout the 110 miles of the park's hiking trails. And in Grand Canyon National Park, you can take your leashed dog for a walk on any of the hiking trails that are above the canyon's rim, including the spectacular South Rim Trail. So again, every single park is different. So when you're planning your trip, if you're if you want to take your dog, make sure to look at the park website and see where your dog would be allowed to go. Right. So there's some great options for for people with pets. Now, just a word of caution that the parks take this seriously. I mean, we have seen many times people <laughs> talking to a ranger as the ranger's writing them a ticket. And so Pay attention to what you can and can't do in any particular park. Right. Now, one thing you can absolutely not do in any national park is fly a drone. Yeah. And I think people know this by now. Like, I think early days of drones, people weren't aware and there was there was a lot of droning in the park and again they take that seriously too i mean those those Mm -hmm. fines can be huge oh yeah for flying a drone and i'd just like to mention too that on navajo land you cannot fly a drone either and i see pictures from monument valley and from other navajo lands where people have drone shots and i'm just going to assume they don't know but you know we need to be respectful of all these lands and rules are rules and there's no drones yeah, and we, we aren't the police for this. We're just educating people about what the rules are or where to find the rules. But the National Park Service has a special unit mm-hmm. that looks at social media posts. And when they see drone shots, they actually follow those up. Yes. And uh, we have heard stories where they've investigated people and issued pretty big fines oh, yes. uh, for people doing uh, drones in, in the national parks. Another thing that you might not think is a no-no is building cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S, little little piles of rocks that, that you might mark a trail with. The Park Service does not want people to build those. The, the park will put those in place where they feel that they're necessary. They consider it a form of graffiti. Exactly. When you think about the leave no trace principles, that includes do not build these rock stacks. And the other thing too, we might say is don't kick them down because the Park Service has them in specific places to mark sections of trails that aren't clear. So if you go in and start kicking these down, you, you could be jeopardizing people's ability to find their way back. Well, right. I, we read this article where this individual didn't like Cairns. And so he took it upon himself every time he went on a hike to knock all the cairns down. Don't do that either, right? right? If they need to be taken down, let the park take them down. Now, you would think this one would be obvious, but we'll mention it anyway. No graffiti in the parks. And that includes etching your initials in tree trunks, which apparently is a very popular thing to do. Also, don't take anything or collect anything like rocks or pine cones or anything that's yeah. in the park. Only only take photos right. <laughs> and we, memories. 
we saw a family on the coastline in Olympic National Park, and, and the little children were, were collecting rocks from the beach. And it's a great teaching moment for your kids, right, to tell them why they cannot take pine cones, they cannot take rocks, they cannot take anything out of a national park. I think it just goes with when you want your kid to experience the park, you want them to know how special this place is and how we don't take anything and we don't leave any trace of ourselves left behind. Another etiquette item is noise pollution. Mm, That's a big Uh, one. We're seeing this a lot where hikers are essentially taking their portable speakers or not boom boxes, but like, I mean, Sonos is like showing people how to take their Sonos speakers into the parks and then playing loud music on trails. Like no one else wants to hear your music. No one. And look, I mean, you can use headphones. This is getting to be a bigger and bigger problem. It is a huge problem. And the parks are talking about it a lot now. I remember when we were in the back section of King's Canyon and we had hiked to the Mist Falls Trail and the ranger had suggested a path on the opposite side of the river to get back to our campsite. And he said we would probably see bears because that's where the black bears like to frequent. So we went to Miss Falls. We're making our way back along the river trail. And all of a sudden, we could hear music. And as we continued and continued, the music got louder. And there was this huge party of guys on the riverbank blasting a boombox as loud as they possibly could. Yeah. And guess what? We never saw a bear because, of course, the bears are scared away. This is a pristine national park. It's not a party area. So I think we all need to have some respect for for all the people who go to the parks to get away from the noise of their lives and who want some solitude and want some peace. So also, don't approach wildlife. Um, again, this this may sound like common sense, but uh, you know there have been cases recently where people have approached wildlife. Other people have videoed them on their phones. The park will will follow up on those instances, and it's just it's not good. It's not good for the people. It's not good for the wildlife. Yeah, Yellowstone seems to be the the worst. And I think we've all seen videos of people getting too close to bison and getting too close to the elk. And recently, there was one where a woman was very close to a mother grizzly and her cubs. And she took photos and she was right in front of them. And the park was able to, through social media, track her down. And she's facing some some fines and possible jail time. Uh, also, don't feed animals and it's like any size animal, like birds and squirrels. Just don't feed them. I know it, it was popular at one time. I think there's less of it now, but people would fold food out in their hands and feed birds, and then take a picture of the bird on their in their hand. It's not good for the birds. They get used to mm. humans feeding them, and there limits their ability to. to uh, fend for themselves. It's just not good. It's not good for anyone. No. And as we've said before in other episodes, uh, the phrase, a fed bear is a dead bear is unfortunately all too true. And it happened quite a bit in 2021. I know it happened in Glacier National Park and it happened in Grand Tetons where tourists would feed these bears and the park had to put them down. So please, please, please do not feed any wildlife. One thing we wanted to mention, too, that it covers just sort of covers all of this is that, you know, have self-awareness of the other visitors of the park. When we were in Glacier National Park this past August, we were sitting on that back deck of the Mini Glacier Hotel, looking at the beautiful Swift Current Lake. And there were a lot of people sitting out there enjoying the view. And a woman came out and sat down next to us, opened her iPad, and started a video chat with her granddaughter. She was talking at the top of her lungs. Her granddaughter was crying. And it it disrupted the entire mood. It disrupted everyone on that back deck of Mini Glacier. Yeah. And, and the other thing to remember is a lot of times when people are in these national parks, because people don't have unlimited vacation time or, or time in general, it might be their only opportunity to experience that thing, mm-hmm. right? Sitting on the back deck of many glacier lodges is a special thing, particularly when the weather's nice and the other people, they might never be back, right? right? It's their only time to experience this. And then somebody comes along and is talking loud on a cell phone or like you said, having a FaceTime chat, you know, 
they're not going to get that time back, right? Uh, and so it's just uh, it's good to be aware of people around you. Those kinds of things can be done. I mean, they could be done other places with, where, where people aren't around. And other instances, other things to think about. When we were in New River Gorge, we hiked up to this viewpoint of the of the river. And at the very edge of the viewpoint where you'd want to stand and take in the view, there was a huge group of hikers who had sat down there. And they were eating their lunch. And they were reading their books. And they had parked themselves there. So nobody could access the end of the trail at that viewpoint. So, you know, just think about other people and how other people want to experience these things, too. I think if we all just put ourselves in other people's shoes who are seeing these places for the first time, and like you said, Matt, they might have one hour to experience this. So let's uh, take care of each other and give each other a chance to really experience these parks in the quiet solitude that was meant to be. So a couple of other rules or guidelines that might not seem obvious, and one is stay on the trails. In some parks, you're required to stay on the established trails, and in some parks, it's okay to go anywhere. Get on the website or ask a ranger. And it's very specific, and so you definitely need to know those rules before you set off. Uh, One other thing that we have on our list here is And again, this one seems obvious, but you wouldn't believe how many people disregard this is pack out everything that you bring. I think a lot of people are under the impression that if they throw their orange peels on the ground, and if they throw their peanut shells on the ground, that those will somehow magically decompose their banana peels. We see it all the time. Please, please pack those out as well as my biggest pet peeve is the used toilet paper that we see everywhere. Right, right. The rule isn't if it can biodegrade, it's okay to throw it, especially orange peels and banana peels. Like, even though they biodegrade, sometimes, depending on, on the environment, the weather, they could stay there for a long, long time. So leave no trace. Pack your stuff out. All right. So I think that we have covered most everything that was on our outline. When we were going over the rules, did you feel like you got to put your imaginary, always off-duty ranger hat on? (laughs) Well, I kind of did. (laughs) But look, we're always promoting the national parks, right? And we're encouraging people to get out there and see them. And I think that along with that also goes the responsibility of talking about the rules and the importance of Leave No Trace. Yeah, especially now that the parks have exploded in terms of visitation, record numbers of people are showing up. Right. And they don't want to get an imaginary ticket from the imaginary (laughs) off-duty ranger named Karen. (laughs) I would absolutely have to change my name. I'd have to have a different name tag. Ellie Mae. Yeah. (laughs) You would get... You would change your name to Ellie Mae. Let's go with Ellie Mae. I like that. I think that that name's going to come back. I'm pretty sure after this episode, lots of baby girls are going to be named Ellie Mae. I like it. I think it could be a new thing. Again, planning for these national parks trips is a very involved process, right? Get out your spreadsheet or however you like to take notes, but... I think it's one of the most exciting things to do, don't you think? Yeah, well, it's it's a big part of the fun mm-hmm. is, is planning and the anticipation. The anticipation, for sure. The road trip, the getting there. The, the entire process is usually so much fun, and it's one of our favorite things to do. I hope everybody got some tips from this. Yeah, I, I think the biggest tip is to start early in your planning, because there are times, many times actually, that you need a year in advance, mm-hmm. because sometimes you have to book the thing a year out. Now Now there's actually times when it's 13, 14 months out when, when you have lotteries and things like that. So yeah, it's never too early to plan your next trip. That's right. We had a very positive response to last week's mailbag episode where we talked about some of the nonfiction adventure books that we loved. Lots of people ask for the list in writing, so I'll do a blog post in the coming days and put it on our website at www.mattandkaren.com. Yeah, a lot of people wanted to do a book club with us, and in fact, we got a few more suggestions of some books, some nonfiction adventure books that other people loved, so we can add those to the list as well. Yeah, we can keep that list updated ongoing. Like sure. we can We can add books to it uh, down the road. I think it's a great resource for everyone who likes to read adventure books. Yeah, I agree. 
In addition to any ideas you might have about good books, we would love to hear your ideas for future episode topics, as well as mailbag questions. Please send those to Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com. Now it's time for us to do some national park planning. I forgot to mention that when you're ready to sit down and plan out your next adventure, you always order a pizza first, preferably a meat lover's. And some cold beer wouldn't hurt either. No. 